Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. Well, no surprise, Jason Kenney uh, is now the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta. He could have decided initially to run for the leadership of the federal party, but has made the decision to run for the PCs in Alberta, is now the leader. So what happens going forward? John Hempe from Chorus Radio Alberta, back with us on uh, on the show today uh, on, the, on the Chorus Network. John, no surprise that... Uh, Jason Kennedy, Kennedy or Kennedy is the leader, but uh, what kind of un- unity is there within the party with Kennedy at the uh, at the head today? Well, I mean, you look at the vote yesterday, and seventy five percent of the votes go to Jason Kennedy. That's a really commanding mandate for him to pursue trying to unite the conservatives. But don't forget, uh, <laughs> where there's seventy five percent, there's also twenty five percent who did not vote for him. I think that's where the interesting story lies. I mean, uh, yesterday, uh, you know, there, there were reports of uh, some longtime Tories walking out of the convention hall as Kenny spoke. Uh, Thomas Kutazic, who was at one time deputy premier, tweeted a picture of his membership card in the garbage can at the convention center. Um, and I think, generally speaking, there's, there's an interesting tone here because I think there are a lot of people, I, I don't want to say may not know their history, but I mean, Let's not forget how the progressive conservatives, um, at least the, the, the modern version that governed for 40-some years in, in Alberta, came to be. And that was really a marriage of red Tories and blue Tories. And, and what you're seeing, I think, is those who may have those fiscally conservative um, ideals, but those socially liberal um, you know, uh, parts of them, finding that this may not be the party that they can call home anymore. And that, that kind of puts a question mark up, is that... You know, it's clearly this is going to unite, I think, a lot of people who identify as purely conservative. Uh, and even on Twitter today, some people are saying, you know, don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. But it's like, you know, they, they, there is a, a, an element of people who are going to be looking for, for a new home. Yeah. And, and now it also depends on how much unanimity there is among Wildrose members, because ultimately, if the parties are going to merge, it's going to take that kind of commitment from both sides uh, of the of the of the conservative right in Alberta, and they're going to have to make a decision on who's going to lead the eventually merged party. Well, and, and let's not forget, I mean, the Wild Rose hold a lot of cards in this whole thing, too. I, from what I understand, they require a 75% plus vote in order to, you know, even consider mergers, as we talked about yesterday, aren't really possible, but some sort of, you know, refusing these two sides back together. They hold the cards. Brian Jean, uh, who... I have to admit, if you haven't been paying attention to Alberta politics, you know, he, I, I, he has a really kind of folksy kind of way about him. And, and one of his, his quotes has long been, uh, I've got my dancing shoes on and I'm ready to dance with anybody who wants to talk about a single unified conservative party. And so it appears that he and Jason Kenney might actually get to do do tomorrow because uh, that is when Kenny is going to sit down with him for the first time to talk about this stuff. Interestingly, though, in all of this, now that we're kind of into this phase of a new conservative future in Alberta, the question becomes who's going to lead this thing? Because I think Jason Kenney wants to be the next premier of this province. He said so yesterday. Uh, Brian Jean, I think, has every intention of wanting to be the next premier of this province. Uh, he said so a number of times. But Main Street Post Media polling uh, earlier this week showed that anybody but those two is who the preference is at this point. So 
it's kind of interesting to see where this whole thing is going to end up going. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Main Street research because we've heard what the politicians want, what their expectations are, what their plans are, but it's ultimately the voters who are going to make the decision, and voters are more outspoken now than they ever have been. Previously, if Jason Kenney had become the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta, the assumption simply would have been that he would be the next premier. Can't make that assumption now. No, and, and I think, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is, is that uh, among those who are fiscally slash socially conservative, I think there's a desire to see this. They want somebody who's going to clearly identify as one of them as right. being the, the, the next leader of whatever this movement is going to be. Yeah. And so I think that's where the that's where the people are going to start to do things out. Right. Sounds like you're surrounded by a bunch of cheering delegates. <laughs> Actually, uh, <laughs> well, it's a bunch of children in the lobby of the Hyatt Hotel where uh, Jason Kenny in about... Uh, 30 minutes or so, it's going to actually uh, have his first news conference with the media since becoming leader. He's meeting uh, this morning with members of the PC executive. We'll find out what that conversation was like, if we find out at all, I guess. And also, um, you know, some of the fallout from this weekend, because clearly, like I said, not everybody was happy with what happened yesterday. Um, and we'll see what, what Mr. Penny has to say about that. And if we hear anybody else has anything to say about yeah, that. We'll, and we'll talk to you later after the news conference. Talk to you later this afternoon and find out what you've been able to find out. But really, it does sound like a bunch of happy delegates behind you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are cheerfully children. Thank you, John. Good talking to you. Catch you later. Take care, Roy. Bye-bye. John Hempy from Chorus Radio. The Roy Green Show. Weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Let me just read you a little something from the Guardian newspaper in the UK. And uh, reads thusly. The Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte has published an open letter to the country's citizens ahead of the elections in March telling anyone who cannot respect its customs to leave. People who, quote, refuse to adapt and criticize our values should behave normally or go away End quote. Rutte said in a full-page newspaper message, seen as a bid to win over voters drawn to Gert Wilder's anti-immigration, anti-Muslim freedom party. He said, this would be Mr. Rutte, the Dutch prime minister, were, quote, increasingly uncomfortable, end quote, with those who abused the freedoms they enjoyed after coming to the Netherlands, who, quote, harass gays or whistle at women in short skirts or brand ordinary Dutch people racists. That's pretty outspoken stuff from the Prime Minister of the Netherlands and pointed, people said clearly, at Muslims in the Netherlands. And it was an attempt also to uh, draw support away from Gert Builders, and I, I guess that happened because Mr. Rutte won. But I don't hear any criticism of Mark Rutte's statements, where there was a lot of criticism about Dr. Kelly Leach and her Canadian values test, if you're coming to Canada from elsewhere in the world, either as, a, as an immigrant or a refugee claimant or as a visitor. Dr. Leach joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. Leach, thank you for the time. Thanks very much for having me, Roy. So when you, uh, when you hear the words of Mr. Rutte, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, compare that with your Canadian values test, and he gets little in the way of criticism. I haven't really seen any. Uh, you were described as a bigot and a fascist and other things. How does this all work out for you? Well, each country makes choices of their own, and I've been talking about a very common-sense approach for Canadian immigration, which, as you've just mentioned, includes having face-to-face interviews with each 
immigrant refugee and, and visitor coming to Canada and asking them at the same time to accept our Canadian values. And I, I'm very pleased to say that in this nation, back in September, 67% of Canadians said that they agreed with talking about Canadian values and this issue. And just recently, a week ago, 74% of Canadians agreed with that. And so even with the barrage of negativity from certain segments of, of Canadian society, obviously the left, um, our numbers have gone up. I think Canadians care deeply about what our country is about, what our country will become, and those Canadian values that I speak about, hard work, generosity, freedom, and tolerance, the ones that built our country, Canadians care passionately about, and they're, uh, they're willing to support someone who is out to defend and protect them. Just as it's been suggested, the Dutch Prime Minister aimed his comments at Muslims in the Netherlands. It's also been suggested that your Canadian values um, aspect of your campaign is directed and aimed at Muslims in Canada. Well, not at all. For myself, I'm talking about civic values, values that Canadians across the country share, and values, I believe, that individuals who wish to come to Canada to immigrate or those refugees coming to Canada want to embrace. And so any suggestion that I'm making choices that have to do with religion are simply false. And I recognize that some people wanted to pick me that way, but the fact of the matter is is that as Canadians, we have a, a value set we have a unique Canadian identity, and I believe it's grounded in a, sh- a shared set of values and that we should be protecting that, and the majority of Canadians agree with me. So what's it like within the Conservative Party of Canada as far as your candidacy is concerned now as we're into the latter half of March and the uh, actual vote isn't that far away? Uh, how, what's your level of support from within the party as you can uh, ascertain, as well as you can ascertain maybe from polling and, other, and otherwise, and, uh, and how are things, what's the relationship like between you and the other candidates for leader? Well, I can say that myself and the relationship with the other candidates, uh, save one or two, is outstanding. And I, I will continue to work with all of these people. I think that um, everyone has something to contribute to the, uh, to the conservative movement and the conservative cause across Canada, um, albeit that there are a couple that are specifically said to me that they, uh, they have... Uh, concerns and they've expressed them publicly uh, with myself talking about immigration. But overall, I think that it's quite a cordial experience. But in the Conservative Party itself, the Conservative movement, um, our campaign has significant momentum. And especially after this last poll that came out, showing that this issue of Canadian values is extremely important. And I think Conservative members realize that they want to vote for a Conservative. I've been very clear with people. The line is drawn in the sand between myself and Mr. O'Leary. He believes the CBC should have $400 million more million. I want to dismantle it. He believes that my screening policy and talking to immigrants, refugees, and visitors to Canada is crazy. I would disagree. I think immigration is an important issue and that we should be proceeding with screening each individual, immigrant, refugee, and visitor coming to Canada. And there are other items that we have differences of opinion on, but it's the line is clearly drawn in the sand. I'm on the conservative side of that that line, and the conservative party membership recognize that. All right. If you're the leader of the conservative party, or if you're the prime minister of Canada, and you're seeing the uh, the border being uh, crossed by migrants from the United States in the manner that it is now, and uh, you're you're watching the reaction from the liberal government, 
What would you do differently, and what would you advise the Liberal government to do now that uh, they, you know, they're in power, so they have the, the obligation and the requirement to look into this? What would you do, and what would you advise them to do? Well, I've been very forthright on this. Individuals that enter our country illegally should be detained, questioned, and sent back, in this case, to the United States. We as Canadians, we're exceptionally generous, but our generosity is not to be taken advantage of. We have a rule of law, and Canadians expect that rule of law to be followed. And individuals that apply to come to Canada as immigrants and refugees, they understand those rules of engagement, and they have been respectful of queuing to make sure that they can come to our country, not illegally entering our country. I've also been very forthright that if I am Prime Minister, and mayors want to create these sanctuary cities to house individuals that have illegally entered our country, that I will revoke their transport funding from the federal government. You know, we have a rule of law in this nation. It's part of the reason our country has been so successful is that we all respect that rule of law, and individuals who come to our nation, at least in the past, have understood that to be the case. Obviously, this Liberal government seems to think that there should be no rules of engagement, no rule of law, and especially no plan on immigration and how to deal with individuals illegally entering our country. Dr. Leach, what about Motion 103, M103? Uh, I, I understand that you're not in favor of it. But right. but what do you do about uh, a member of parliament who says, look, this is a significantly important, and and this is what we're proposing, this one is what needs to be looked at. What makes M103 uh, unacceptable, um, inappropriate, uh, untimely? You choose the descriptor. <laughs> well, look, I... Uh... I think that we have a nation where freedom of speech is embraced. And moving forward with vultures like this that curtail that freedom of speech and, and criticism of a single religion, allows a single religion a special privilege, is not what Canada is about. Our Canadian values, the Canadian way, actually expresses that we treat everyone equally. Everyone is treated equally before the law. Everyone is treated equally as a citizen. And I don't believe that the state has any place in houses of worship. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, the Liberals have chosen to move forward with this. I think it's exceptionally divisive. And I'm encouraging Canadians from across the country to join me. I have a petition, stopm103.ca. I encourage people to either go to that website, stopm103.ca, or text stopm103 to uh, 393939 um, and sign our petition to try to stop this motion from moving forward in the House of Commons. I, uh, it's very concerning to me that uh, we're going to try to curtail any criticism of a single religion. We do have laws that uh, uh, deal with hate and uh, hate speech, as well as uh, hateful actions towards other Canadians. Those are sufficient, and they're treated equally across the board to everyone in this nation. That's how I believe we should continue to prosper as a society. I just want to come back to the last point, or come back to the issue of the Canadian values as part of your platform for newcomers to Canada. It's it's difficult to look at at the uh, at that aspect of your platform, and and to assess it, and to listen to you explain it, and not come to the conclusion that it is aimed at Muslims. Hello. Yeah, it's it's difficult for me to look at mm -hmm. the platform as you put it forward. And, and not come to the conclusion that it is, in fact, aimed at Muslims. Well, it's aimed at individuals that are, that are extremists and don't share our values. 
and I just as much don't want white supremacists entering our nation as as I would want someone who thinks a woman is a piece of property. Uh, for me, these are, are things that we embrace as Canadians, the Canadian way of life, which means men and we, women are equal, that you can practice which, whatever religion you wish. You can express your cultural identity um, as you wish in our nation, but, but violence and misogyny, these uh, hateful acts, are, are things that we don't embrace here. And I think it's extremely important that individuals understand. I'm talking about civic values, and uh, extremism from anyone is unacceptable. Dr. Leach, I thank you for the time. It's going to be interesting over the next two months and then beyond that, of course, heading toward 2019. <laughs> it's definitely going to be busy, going to be interesting. Well, to, uh, to winning at the end of May. And I encourage anyone, if they want to get involved with my campaign, to go to kellyworks.ca or text me at 3939. Just text my name, Kelly, to 393939. Love to get them involved in the conservative movement. All right, Dr. Leach, thanks for the time. Thank you. Take Have care. a good day. There's Dr. Kelly Leach. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. New story that uh, I've talked to a few friends of mine who were formerly in the military, and I asked them just how significant the story is to them, and each one of them said extremely significant. And this new story is, I imagine mo- most of you have heard this, major changes within uh, the Canadian Armed Forces are quite possibly going to be taking place. The Chief of Defense Staff, General John Vance, announced the military will review uniforms, badges, flags, ceremonies, drills, and so on, to confirm they're all welcoming to women, the disabled, indigenous people, gays, and transgender, and it's part of the military's diversity strategy action plan. There's also um, information that the Ottawa Citizen newspaper was able to obtain from sources, as they write, inside National Defense Headquarters. And one of the uh, one of the problems has been, and a very serious issue, have been the allegations of and uh, the proof of sexual harassment, sexual violence toward women within the armed forces. So now things are going to change, according to General Vance. And uh, joining us on the program is... Sergeant Major Barry Westholm has been a, a guest on the show on uh, many an occasion. We've normally been speaking about issues within the military as far as looking after those with PTSD is concerned and, and uh, looking after veterans and making sure that proper pensions are paid out. And Barry has, uh, has works nonstop on behalf of uh, the men and the women of the military, more than 30 years in the Canadian Armed Forces. And that includes the disbanded Airborne Regiment. Barry, good to speak with you again. And uh, when when the chief of defense staff, General John Vance, says things have to change, uh, what do you uh, what do you say? And and what does it mean to you as a thirty plus year member of the armed forces that they're reviewing fundamentals like uniforms, badges, flags, ceremonies, drills, and so on to confirm that they're all welcoming to women. And as is, is written, uh, the disabled, indigenous people, gays and transgender. What's your response to that? Uh, firstly, their priorities are just totally out to lunch. Um, and I believe immoral. I say immoral because they're still uh, dealing and grappling with a uh, transition unit to try to get uh, injured and ill people, people that have uh, hurt themselves in, in the line of duty for us, um, a proper support structure. So they should not be recruiting anybody or deploying anyone 
until they have a very firm way of dealing with them once they're injured. So that should be number one on the priority list. This current issue is uh, one that's been going on actually for, for many, many years. Um, but uh, just to state my, my feeling about the whole thing, I'm going to quote uh, General James Mattis, who's uh, just been a part of Trump's team, and he states when asked about the LGBT community and those people joining the forces, he said, my concern is on the readiness of the force to fight. He said, and to make certain that it's the top of its game. So when we go up against an enemy, the criteria for everything we do in the military up until that point, when we put our young men and women across the line of departure, is they will be at their most lethal stance. And that is how I feel. I really don't care and never did care about sexual orientation, things of that nature, religious beliefs. It, to me, in, in, in the military, it did not matter. However, the military does have an obligation to mirror uh, Canadian society, and that's just the way it, it goes. It, it has uh, to follow what's going on. And as things become more prevalent in society, and it could be a, a, the religion makeup of, of people, uh, the sexuality of people, it, it can't ignore it. And there's no more firmer way to express this than Canadian Forces Administration Order 1920. Now, this is the one that basically weeded out all homosexuals from the Canadian Forces while I was there. I saw it happen. And uh, this is back in the 80s. And like I say, I really had no problem with anybody that I worked with. If they worked hard, it, it didn't mean hill of beans if you were gay or whatever. You were a hard worker. Now, if you were straight and a, a weak worker and, you know, just sort of hanging out, that would bother me to no end. But back in that, the day, back in the 80s, it was considered I- immoral. Uh, so, have, so Barry, why would yeah. they? Uh, let's let's just have a quick look back at at, uh, at recent history. Why in the 1980s would there have been a have been a roundup, as you put it, of, of gays in in Canada's military? Well, well, if you read the uh, the CFEO 19-20, it's on the net. It goes into great detail as why, because it doesn't uh, accept, It wasn't part of the moral standards of the day, and it's actually quite explicit uh, if if you read it. But the moral standards of the day. We're not accepting of the gay community. And yet, if you had somebody that you suspected or, in fact, may have known was gay, who was in a unit that you served with, and that person was a good soldier, that's all you cared about. Well, well I think that's all that's the, what anybody should care about. The soldiers, that's all they care about. They yeah. couldn't give a damn. Yeah. It's, as the further you go up, it seems to become, you know, some sort of hypersensitive issue that really is... is Beyond, uh, um, you know, one me. of the points that I made to uh, this this one fellow I know who's formerly military and very strongly challenging what General Vance is doing, and I said to him, "Look, if if you're looking, if you're trying to build a military where you actually have uh, people from different uh, backgrounds, ethnicities, racial background, linguistic background, if you're trying to get more women into the armed forces, then you you have to make it into in, you have to at least." present the armed forces in a fashion, in a, in a way, that is an attractive option for people. There's no doubt about it, and it should, right now, it's not a very attractive option. If but, you at the, but, at the same time, but at the same time, you can't turn around and say, or I don't know if they can or, or if they will, but you can't say to, your, to people who are, uh, you know, if you have a, a whole bunch of white young males who want to join the military, you don't turn around to them and say, no, you can't join because you're a white male. You're correct. And uh, once again, the, the inability for the Canadian forces to attract minorities goes back, geez, about 20 years, Roy. I mean, they, they've been they're stepping over themselves. And again, like I say, they get really rattled at the high end. Yeah. And a, a, good, a good point was when they spent $2 million researching a combat bra. They were, 
they've sort of stepped out of their arcs there, eh? I mean, w- women know what they need, and they ended up saying, okay, get what you need, and we'll give you, a, you know, some money for that. But I also want to point out, too, that there are exceptions to, uh, to hiring people in the Canadian Forces, like the Rangers. It's not so hard and fast that we can ignore uh, the special aspects of Canada. So we can have Rangers serving up in the north doing patrols for the armed forces, which they do well into their 50s, and never meet the universality of service, but they meet the need. And that's very important. And these are, these are, these are indigenous people who have old 303 rifles. Well, they just got upgraded, but I, I don't think they're happy about that because the 303 yeah. was a dandy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, again, so there should be sort of a notwithstanding clause for the universality of service when they're dealing with people in the Canadian Armed Forces who would get injured. And this is also a big one. So if, if you've got a million dollars worth of training and you, you wreck your ankle, they should be able to say, okay, we didn't lower the bar to get you in here. You got in, you met all the standards because you have to maintain the standards, Roy. Right. But in the in the midst of your uh, military service, you got injured, but we really need your trade. You're at the top of your game. Yeah. So notwithstanding the universality of service, we're going to keep you. Well, here's the thought that I, uh, I had a question I want to ask you, because a number of the people we've spoken to who were removed from the military just before they qualified for their pensions and just before they qualified for, uh, you know, for the uh, for, for the add-ons that they were in, uh, entitled to, um they uh, they were they were kicked out and the, or they were I guess maybe that's a little bit of a, a rough description but they were removed from the military because of either physical issues or they had PTSD uh, and mental health issues so they were removed but at the same so now uh, at the same time we have the military saying we want to make the military more attractive to, to dis- disabled people well like I say once you get near the top end and you get up the office of the CDS things go quite wonky. For example, if the military is below strength and they're still releasing people with amazing skills, abilities, and talent, yeah. for no good reason, they should be keeping them, and they could keep them in a training uh, establishment. For example, there was one fellow, one of the best snipers on the planet Earth, Canadian, lost both of his feet. He's still one of the best snipers on the, on the planet Earth, and he could be training Canadian snipers. Why did they kick him out? It was because they were dumb. They were, they were just dumb and following this universality of service thing like it was... Uh, you know, come down from the, the mountain. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're really screwing up. The numbers are dropping. They're part of the problem why the numbers are dropping. It's, it's just insanity. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Barry, thank you as always. I mean, you, you've done so much for Canada, and you're continuing to do it. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure, Roy. No problem. Uh, when we talk about reviewing uniforms and badges and flags and ceremonies and drills and music... What one person said to me was, "What are we going to? What's what's going to happen? Will we have a, a military that looks entirely different? Will we have different uniforms? Will there be different drills, different badges? Will it be non-recognizable? Uh, for example, if if they're on parade. So, uh, the question is, how much of a change is going to be made, and 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 what would that change more than likely look like? Do you have any sense of that?" Well, Roy, uh, when I joined the, the Canadian Forces in 1982, we were wearing uh, something that looked like a bus driver's uniform. Nothing wrong with bus drivers, but it just didn't suit the military. And since 82 to the time that I, uh, I resigned, I bet you I wore 10 different uniforms. 10. And that means you had to enclose the entire armed forces, every person, 10 times with three sets of those uniforms minimum. So you do the math on that one, but that's what the Canadian Forces have been doing 
It's like some sort of fashion show. I don't get it. So nothing new. No, geez, nothing new. I'd be. I mean, they're still changing. They just went back to a, you know, an older look. Fine. That's. But again, the priorities here seems to be a little skewed as you know what they're doing with regards to how they look, uh, vice how they're treating their ill and injured. Do you do you see a military working effectively, efficiently with a great cross section of people from from the greater community represented in the military? More the better. More the better. Uh, better for the military and more the better for Canada, because. I met my first Newfoundlander in, in, in the military. I'll never forget it, and I'm glad that happened. Uh, and, and I think it's a way that we get to meet and uh, share our differences true. and our, our similarities. It's just wonderful in the military for that. And the conversation within the ranks would be similar to that now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, when you, when you join the military, you're joining a family. It's a different society, all focused on one objective, and that's, that's winning the fight, right? What's it so, like, when a, what's it like when, a, when a unit is closed down? The airborne... Was disbanded after the uh, situation in Somalia. You remember the airborne? What, what is that? How does that reverberate through the ranks? Well, what it did was the the, uh, the disbandment of the airborne was a very uh, defining point for the Kenyan forces that it hasn't recovered from yet. It basically it, it told everybody in the military, anybody that wanted to join the military, that you are fodder for the government. They will not back you up. They will throw you to the lines. They will throw you to the media at at uh, your expense to back up their their government and that sent a shockwave through the military and i believe our leadership has been a lot a lot weaker since then because they're looking at their careers they become careers as officers rather than true leaders because they think they could be fired at any second and they fire people that don't agree with them that so it's 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 been terrible the airborne regiment should be brought back and the ethos that was there at the canadian airborne regiment when i was there i was there when it was disbanded was top of the line top of the line and again we talk about standards with the airborne you could get in there if you really wanted to but they wouldn't post you there you had to volunteer and when you volunteered you had to go through rigorous training and we did have a woman there i can remember one woman i believe she was a rigor one guy pointed out to me that made the test but out of 700 men one woman made it but that's the way to, to do it she felt she wanted to give the give it a try she did she passed and she was in and she was accepted with all the other paratroopers no question, and that's what you need, though, Roy. You need to have that uh, that morale, that uh, that that common pur- sense of purpose. Do you think? I'll just ask you for a subjective opinion. Do you think this this initiative to to review everything and change what they feel is going to, uh, is necessary to be changed? Do you think that came from from uh, the federal government, or do you think that came from the most senior ranks in the military? Well, if the senior ranks are doing their job, it should have came from them. But I don't think they're doing their job. I think they're in a highly reactive posture. I, again, I point to the JPSU. We talk about the military reflecting society. Right. Well, society doesn't put its ill and injured out on the ice. Eh? They don't do that, but the military does. And that is a huge drawback and a huge obstacle to anybody recruiting. I wouldn't want my son in the military. No way. If he gets injured, uh, he comes back to a mess. So once again, if they want to reflect society as they should, perfect. But they should also reflect society when it comes to taking care of our people and our families. Barry, we have just under a minute. Talk to us about what's going to be happening in Ottawa on Wednesday evening. Well, honestly, it's new to me. It's a town hall, so a, a lot of people are going to be showing up. I, it's going to be four members of parliament. There's going to be Gary Walborn, the Canadian Armed Forces uh, Ombudsman, a, a terrific man who's doing an amazing job, a true leader who's out for the troops, and myself and some other people. And basically what I expect is uh, hopefully I'll be challenged about my position on the Joint Personnel Support Unit. That's my sort of uh, focus. It always has been and will be uh, for the immediate future. And uh, to answer any questions the public might have about 
about any sort sort of thing that uh, these subject matter experts okay. can respond to. So that's at uh, Ottawa City Hall, six to nine p.m. this coming Wednesday. And it's going to be live streamed on Gorilla Radio on Facebook, so okay. you'll be able to watch it on Facebook if you like, Roy. All right, Barry. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. All the best. Uh, same to you, and thanks so much for what you do for the troops, Roy. Well, thank you, thank you, Take Sergeant care. Major Barry Westholm. You're listening to the Roy Green Show weekends from two to five on AM nine hundred CHML. I was watching uh, TV the other night, and I saw this uh, video come up. I had the sound down, and I saw Snoop Dogg, and then I saw a caricature of Donald Trump. And then I saw Snoop Dogg pull out a gun, pointed at the caricature of Donald Trump, pull the trigger, and out popped the flag that said bang. But clearly, the message was, was right there, assassinate the President of the United States. Donald Trump expressed his objection to that particular video and uh, on Twitter, and they heard from Bow Wow, another rapper, who, uh, in a tweet, suggested that, well, maybe though what they'd have to do, and there's no polite way to describe this, is they would have to force the First Lady, Melania Trump, into prostitution for them. And... How many stories were there on that? How much mainstream media coverage was there? Virtually none. Because to attack Donald Trump is fine. To attack anyone else on the left is just an example of the deplorables in action. It really is mainstream media versus the conservative movement in the United States. Kristen Tate is uh, one of the top 25 Republicans under 25. She's a columnist with The Hill and uh, a contributor to Fox News. Um, her column in the, in the Hill was Violent Threats Against the President are okay now. Kristen is also the author of Government Gone Wild, a book you, we all should read. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And there really is a, there's a hatred for Donald Trump. I haven't used that word before, but as I was watching this, this video and then saw what developed afterward, which was essentially nothing for mainstream media, I just came to the conclusion that there is a hatred for Donald Trump. Am I right? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me on, Roy. It's a pleasure. And you are absolutely right. The left is full of hatred and terror because they know that Trump is trying to systematically destroy everything they stand for, which is bloated bureaucracy, government largesse and wasteful spending and uh, it terrifies them and uh you know they, they they keep trying to take him down and every time they do it blows up in their face these liberal narratives are like boomerangs every time they they try to take him down or you know they, they try to ruin him it just comes back and blows up in their face and they're going to keep losing power if they don't uh they don't start understanding why the people love Donald Trump so much. And there are lines that you don't cross, or there are line, lines you should be very careful about crossing, and you wrote in your column, the FBI investigated a threat to kill Milo Yiannopoulos for the audacity to want to speak on a college campus. Threats against former Labor Secretary's nominee uh, Andy Puzder's wife caused him to withdraw from consideration. Multiple intimidatory remarks haunted members of the Trump Voting Electoral College. We spoke to uh, one of the members twice, and he talked to us about death threats that he received, Kristen. And you write that President Trump has been the target of declarations of violence on a nearly daily basis. This is this is just not reported on by mainstream media. Why not? Absolutely. 
And I want to make it clear, of course, Obama was the target of vicious attacks at times as well. The point is that the media would nationally shame the attacker every single time. I mean, even every time something just disrespectful was said about Obama, the media would shame that person. For example, in 2014, a GOP staffer for a relatively obscure congressman wrote on her personal Facebook page that the Obama daughters should, quote, show more class. Yeah, you know, that's not a great comment to make, but she she endured weeks and weeks of national shaming from every single media outlet in this country until she was forced to step down. Yet when Madonna threatens to blow up the White House, when Sarah Silverman, the comedian, says that she wants a military coup, when Snoop Dogg mocks an assassination on Trump, and when Bow Wow threatens to basically sexually enslave our first lady, the media is basically silent. You know, in fact, I saw some articles praising Snoop Dogg's assassination video. Uh, the Washington Post actually ran an editorial calling it art and saying that it should be praised for starting a national discussion. Now, can you imagine if the tables had been turned and that were Obama no, no. that were in a music video? They would be outraged. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the Washington Post had an editorial, maybe it was yesterday, where they talked about the expenses of providing safety for President Trump and for his family as though that were a, were a major burden that the American people should not have to uh, to, to carry. Right, right, exactly. Yes, they didn't care about about wasteful spending when it was Obama, and they were horrified every time anyone said anything negative about him. I mean, at this point, the selective outrage has become really tiring, and I think the left and the mainstream media are frankly doing a self, doing themselves a disservice because they're being so flagrant about this. And the American people know what's going on. They're very good at detecting coverage patterns, and you know, they're starting to turn against the media. We're seeing readership of these mainstream outlets dwindling. The cable news networks, relatively speaking, most of them are losing primetime viewers. And people are turning to alternative media because they just don't trust the mainstream media. They know that outlets are just out to get President Trump. Yeah, we, we don't have the best uh, phone connection, Kristen, but let me try one more question for you. Where is this headed is it going to um, is it going to die a, 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 a natural death of sort of uh, anger fatigue or, or or accusation fatigue or is it just going to accelerate and get worse over a period of the next three and a half years? Look, I think the rest is going to remain very angry. They're going to keep on with the selective outrage, but the people are the people see what's going on and they're not reading these outlets anymore. They don't trust the mainstream media. So the media is just destroying itself, and uh, we're going to see alternative networks start to grow and get bigger as people turn away from, you know, the Washington Post and the New York Times because, frankly, there's just not trustworthy sources at this point. Yeah. It's, uh, it does become scary when you start to have uh, assassinations of a president who's already under uh, uh, under attack from the left on a daily basis. And then you have the assassinations depicted on a music video. You start to worry about... Uh, the uh, the unstable minds in a society seeing something like that and then maybe deciding that they would try something. Uh, it's just something that, that enters everyone's mind. Kristen, thank you. The book is Government Gone Wild, and uh, 
we'll uh, we'll we'll talk again, and uh, we'll make sure that our phone lines actually cooperate. But appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Ron. All the best. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Well, no surprise, Jason Kenney uh, is now the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta. He could have decided initially to run for the leadership of the federal party, but has made the decision to run for the PCs in Alberta, is now the leader. So what happens going forward? John Hempe from Chorus Radio Alberta Back with us on uh, on the show today uh, on the on the Chorus Network, John. No surprise that uh, Jason Kennedy Kennedy or Kennedy is the leader. But uh, what kind of un- unity is there within the party with Kennedy at the uh, at the head today? Well, I mean, you look at the vote yesterday, and seventy five percent of the votes go to Jason Kennedy. That's a really commanding mandate for him to pursue trying to unite the Conservatives. But don't forget. Uh, where there's 75%, that there's also 25% who did not vote for him. And I think that's where the interesting story lies. I mean, uh, yesterday, uh, you know, there, there were reports of uh, some longtime Tories walking out of the convention hall as Kenny spoke. Uh, Thomas Kazakh, who was at one time deputy premier, tweeted a picture of his membership card in the garbage can at the convention center. Um, and I think, generally speaking, there's, there's an interesting tone here because I think there are a lot of people, I, I don't want to say may not know their history, but I mean, let's not forget how the progressive conservatives, um, at least the, the, the modern version that governed for 40-some years in, in Alberta, came to be, and that was really a marriage of red Tories and blue Tories. And, and what you're seeing, I think, is those who may have those fiscally conservative um, ideals, but those socially liberal um, you know, uh, parts of them, finding that this may not be the party that they can call home anymore. And that that kind of puts a question mark up, is that, you know, it's clearly this is going to unite, I think, a lot of people who identify as purely conservative. Uh, And even on Twitter today, some people are saying, you know, don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. But it's like, you know, there is an element of people we're going to be looking for for a new home. Yeah, and and now it also depends on how much unanimity there is among Wildrose members, because ultimately, if the parties are going to merge, it's going to take that kind of commitment from both sides uh, of the of the of the conservative right in Alberta, and they're going to have to make a decision on who's going to lead the eventually merged party. Well, and and let's not forget, I mean, the Wildrose hold a lot of cards in this whole thing too. I, from what I understand, they require a 75% plus vote in order to, you know, even consider mergers, as we talked about yesterday, aren't really possible, but some sort of, you know, refusing these two sides back together. They hold the cards. Brian Jean, uh, who I I have to admit, if you you haven't been paying attention to Alberta politics, you know, he he has a really kind of folksy kind of way about him. And and one of his his quotes has long been, uh, I've got my dancing shoes on, and I'm ready to dance with anybody who wants to talk about a single unified conservative party. And so it appears that he and Jason Kenney might actually get to do do tomorrow because uh, that is when Kenny is going to sit down with him for the first time to talk about this stuff. Interestingly, though, in all of this, now that we're kind of into this phase of a new conservative future in Alberta, the question becomes who's going to lead this thing? Because I think Jason Kenney wants to be the next premier of this province. He said so yesterday. Uh, Brian Jean, I think, has every intention of wanting to be the next premier of this province. Uh, he said so a number of times. But Main Street Post Media polling uh, earlier this week showed that 
anybody but those two is who the preference is at this point. So it's kind of interesting to see where this whole thing is going to end up going. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Main Street research because we've heard what the politicians want, what their expectations are, what their plans are, but it's ultimately the voters who are going to make the decision, and voters are more outspoken now than they ever have been. Previously, if Jason Kenney had become the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta, the assumption simply would have been that he would be the next premier. Can't make that assumption now. No, and, and I think, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is that uh, among those who are fiscally slash socially conservative, I think there's a desire to see this. They want somebody who's going to clearly identify as one of them as right. being the, the, the next leader of whatever this movement is going to be. Yeah. And so I think that's where the that's where the people are going to start to do things out. Right. Sounds like you're surrounded by a bunch of cheering delegates. <laughs> Actually, uh, <laughs> well, it's a bunch of children in the lobby of the Hyatt Hotel where uh, Jason Kenney in about... Uh, 30 minutes or so is going to actually uh, have his first news conference with the media since becoming leader. He's meeting uh, this morning with members of the PC executive. We'll find out what that conversation was like, if we find out at all, I guess. And also, um, you know, some of the fallout from this weekend, because clearly, like I said, not everybody was happy with what happened yesterday. Um, and we'll see what, what Mr. Penny has to say about that. And if we hear anybody else has anything to say. About yeah, we'll, and we'll talk to you later after the news conference, talk to you later this afternoon and find out what you've been able to find out. But really, it does sound like a bunch of happy delegates behind you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are cheerfully children. Thank you, John. Good talking to you. Catch you later. Take care, Roy. Bye-bye. John Hempy from Chorus Radio, Alberta. The kids in the background. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.